P. And thank you for joining us on this beautiful Friday afternoon. Um, Got to hope everybody has a good weekend plan. I know that I do. And hello, Dan Torres. Hey, Buzz. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, and I want to talk to you about last night. I'm feeling good for Ooh. a couple of reasons. Uh, Tell me. Well, one reason that I'm feeling good is because we have with us um, the Hampshire County Sheriff, um, and Pat, hello, and thank you for joining us, Pat Kalane. Um, and I'm really anxious to talk to you about, uh, well, the commission that you're involved in and its mission. Um, but first, I, we can't get away from what happened last night. Um, yeah, tell me. The January 6th commission, um, it was moving. You could either look at it very cynically, and if you are looking at it cynically, then you are missing the importance of this effort to preserve our representative democracy and to hold people accountable who wanted to, um, at a minimum, damage it and maybe destroy it and replace it with a rule of a single individual. Um, It was, uh, you know, the only thing I have in common with Liz Cheney is we both have monosyllabic names that have a Z in it. Um, <laughs> but Liz Cheney last night, uh, I don't know whether there's any ulterior motive other than sheer patriotism, but what I saw evidenced was sheer patriotism and intelligence. And while we might not agree with much, much of her yeah. um, political ideology, in other regards, I'm 100% in agreement with the passion that she exhibited last night. How about you, Dan? Uh, yeah, I think... Maybe we were talking about this before we went on air. Uh, I think she took a position that she knows full well will cost her politically in Wyoming. And she's still willing to do it. Which says something about her character. Regardless of how you feel about how she votes, if you support it or not. I think she realizes this is going to cost me politically. She doesn't know how much. Is it going to cost her seat? You know, is she going to be able to win? It looks bad for her right now in the polls. But I think she's willing to say, you know what? I'm not willing to go down this road with you, and I'm willing to stand on the principles and the oath that I took, which we heard a lot about last night. We heard a lot about last night, and I think as an attorney, I was listening to her lay out. It was an opening. It was an opening statement. uh, Merrick Garland, are you listening? It was an opening statement for your prosecutors because— there were crimes committed. She went out of her way to talk about what statutes. And I'm very yeah. interested, Sheriff, you're someone who runs for office. And um, I'm not just talking about you being a politician. I'm talking about you being a public servant. Um, you told me before we came on the air that you weren't able to watch the whole thing. But what's your, what are your impressions about what you've heard happened in last night? Well, I think the, from the public servant piece of it, uh, when you take an oath of office... You take an oath to protect all of the citizens that you're responsible for. And it doesn't matter what office that is. And I think that's what she was doing, is she's protecting the citizens that she feels are most vulnerable. And, and she's responsible for those citizens. And, and I think that's the right way to, to look at public service, uh, no, matter wh- no matter who you are. Right is the operative word there. Yeah. It is. And you and I took the same oath. Yes. And it, it includes preserving the constitutions of Massachusetts and the United States of America. Yes. 
Yeah, and and that was mentioned oftentimes. The oath is to the Constitution. It isn't to a government. It isn't to an administration, right? And so it certainly so, isn't to somebody with a bad hairdo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that that is true. And so I, I it was is moving also to hear uh, from the police officers directly oh, to talk moment. about how they process that because as I think uh, Officer Edwards talked about, there is no training for that. Uh, that she experienced. She said it was like combat for hours on end. And then you get injured and then you're just there and, and there's no control and then you're losing control and, and there isn't a backup. And then there are these calls that are being made and they really released some videos that I thought were moving and powerful and very strong. Because uh, it, it brought you back into that moment and you know, you're getting to see it happen and how intense it was, especially from, from their perspective of being in there and being overwhelmed and yeah, overrun. They brought us into real time. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because she moved me deeply. She, you know, when she said, I have a lot of training as, as an officer, as a police officer, but I never had combat training. training. This was war. She said she was slipping on the pools of blood One, that were yeah. coming from her fellow officers and friends, she yeah. said. That was very compelling. And, and and you can only imagine the trauma that she has lived with since that day because to process all of that therapy that you're going to need and, and the difficulty you're going to have sleeping and the medications, and, and it affects you, it changes you to experience that for anyone. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd Well, we've had 800 it. indictments so yeah. far, um, and um, I, there's, a, there's a few missing. And I hope that as a result of what the committee is going to... Um, open our eyes to that um, the justice is going to be served. This is just too dangerous. We have too fragile a democracy. Um, it's time to do something about it. But So, Sheriff, Pat K. Lang, thank you so much for joining us. I, um, I have to admit, I am very moved by the commission, the special commission that you are um, a member of, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners about it, how it originated, and what you're doing on it. Well, the Criminal Justice Reform Acts of uh, 2018 was how we were established. We were established as a, a commission uh, to study uh, the health and safety of the LGBT community that was incarcerated. And so um, I became the uh, Massachusetts Sheriff's uh, Office uh, appointed person. Uh, so to, there's one sheriff out of all those sheriffs in Massachusetts? One sheriff of the 14. That was you. And that was me. And... Um, and I wanted to do this because uh, it was, it's something that hasn't been really looked at in the, in the correction system. So, um, and, and we know there are people uh, from the LGBT community in, uh, incarcerated. So uh, I thought it was appropriate that we study it. So um, there were eight members on, on the commission uh, from very different backgrounds, uh, and we we started out okay, but then COVID hit, and so we had to readjust how we were doing things and, and how we were accessing uh, information and accessing facilities, and it became much more difficult, obviously, but uh, we did some of uh, our visits on Zoom and some of our visits in person uh, to some state facilities and county facilities, and um, we spoke with individuals who wanted to speak with us regarding uh, how they how they experienced life inside a, a correctional facility being a member of the LGBT community and, and what the pits, pitfalls were for them 
and, and what were the positives. And so we, we have not finished the report. Uh, hopefully within the next six months we will finish that report. But in the meantime, we're, we're, we're starting to move ahead with uh, communication um, with some of the legislators to, to let them know that uh, this, is, this is what we've discovered. And, and uh, actually some legislation has been um, put forward that uh, has come from some of the things that we were looking at. So, so that's and I want to go into those things. But first, I just want to circle back for a moment and, and ask you, um, it used to be that if we were talking about the rights of disadvantaged people because they are LGBTQ, <clears throat> it used to be we first have to surmount these prejudices that we would encounter, that people wouldn't accept the legitimacy of that sexual orientation, that gender identity. Um, the fact that uh, the Criminal Justice Act of, of 2018 stepped beyond that and said, we're not going to focus on whether people should be LGBTQ. We're going to focus on what are the unique problems that they experience within the criminal justice system. And obviously part of that is being incarcerated. And when they get out of incarceration, what can we do to ease the path is the commissions, is the tone generally accepting of the fact that there are such people and we have to, we, we should just recognize them as our brothers and sisters and neighbors? Yes, uh, and like most people in the correctional system, they are going to be coming back out into the community. And uh, what, what services can we provide from the correctional end to get them into the best position that they can? Uh, it may be uh, counseling, uh, whether it be mental health or, or uh, public health. Uh, it could be uh, housing. It could be employment. All of those pieces come into play for all individuals leaving the correctional system. But um, there can be a another level of stigma uh, if you're from the LGBT community, depending on, on where, you, where you're from. Uh, so, so all of those pieces we were, we're looking at and... Uh, and, and again, it's this this ideology around wraparound services for those who are coming back to the community. So before we get to coming back to the community, yep. um, in when, when people are incarcerated, quite often they are picked on. It's not always an easy environment in there for anyone for a variety of reasons, but certainly if you are different, then there are those who pick on people because they're different. So... Is it your experience that, because uh, this you look into the health and safety, yes, of LGBTQ inmates, right? Um, so, is are they generally less safe than other inmates? I, I would think, depending on which facilities you're looking at, there's levels of safety, and uh, it's it's for me, it's it has become an educational process. And one of the things that we're talking about in in the report, we will be talking about educating everybody from superintendents of facilities all the way down to the, the correctional officers and everybody in between as to how do we provide safe environments so that um, a, a straight person and a gay person can live side by side in the same housing unit but accept each other's uh, values and be respectful of each other. And so, so that's some of the educational process that we, we're talking about and, and that I believe needs to happen uh, so that 
so that we can move to the next step and so that we can make it a safer place. I so appreciate as a sheriff that, that uh, you so, and it's obviously genuine, you genuinely understand that. But I guess what I'm talking about also, um, and Dan, you can join this conversation um, if you'd like, which is even in football, we have a football player who comes out and other football players treat them badly. They don't want to be in a shower with them or anything else. Well, they have choices. Inmates don't have choices. They were sent there and they're involuntarily stuck there with somebody that they don't want to be. And you and your officers have to sort of contend with that. Doesn't that add another layer of difficulty? It it adds a layer of difficulty. uh, And what you have to do is you have to put uh, stop gaps in place to prevent that from happening. Part of it is uh, the supervision model. Um, You want to have people integrated similar to what we have in outside society. Uh, you don't want to be segregating uh, individuals because of their lifestyle. Uh, you know, we can't do that. Uh, the Prison Rape Elimination Act has said we can't do that. And, and uh, so what you have to do is you, you have to say, okay, how do we educate the group that you're going to be living with that you may be different? And so uh, some of the changes, some of the things that have to sometimes change is that uh, let's use uh, showers, for, for instance. You may have specific shower hours if you are feeling uncomfortable uh, in, in showering with others. And, and I, most facilities are ad- adopting those types of ideologies so that uh, people can feel safe in their own environment. And, and that's what we, we have a responsibility as public servants to do that, um, no matter who the individual is. You know, if you feel uncomfortable, you should be able to talk to somebody. It's, it's why uh, in, in a lot of the correctional system, you'll find that uh, uh, on top of correctional officers, you may have correctional case officers, and then you might ha- even have a layer of case managers who are specifically uh, uh, social workers who work specifically with individuals. And, and so, mm-hmm. so those different groups uh, of individuals uh, gives the uh, the individual inmate an opportunity to talk to somebody other than other than a fellow inmate and or an officer, because sometimes people are very uncomfortable talking to an officer ab- about their uh, sexuality, right? You know, but they may talk to a counselor, or they may talk to a nurse, or they may uh, may talk to somebody uh, or a teacher when they're in an educational program, and and so so you have to make sure that all those avenues are open to them so that so that they can live safely. I have a question, Buzz. This is Dan. Um, what uh, additional resources do you think you would need in order to provide a improved uh, quality uh, of life for the individuals incarcerated? Like, what are you missing specifically, um, either in terms of case managers? Do you have enough of those? Do you have enough everything? Like, what what would it be specifically? Specifically, you'd, you'd be looking at... Um case managers or social workers that have a specific skill set uh, in in working with the LGBT community. Mm. Um, and not everybody is comfortable with working with a group a certain group of people or uh, but there are there are people that are in in the outside community that that do it all the time and have specific skill sets. Uh, right here in Northampton, uh, we have uh, trans health uh, mm. in in Florence and uh, one of the things that um, my director of education is working on now is trying to get programming through trans health, and, and they're working on developing something hopefully for the fall. 
uh, as an educational program for both staff and inmates. Um, and, and those are the things that you have to you have to start doing. So you have to start with an educational process. It, it's it's uh, it, it's what I say all the time. You know, uh, we have failed so many kids at at lower levels, mm. n- not because of the school system, but uh, kids kids learn differently, and so. If we invest in in that early childhood education a little right. bit more, we we do better. And mm-hmm. and so, um, a lot of the population we work with, uh, they end up uh, they, they kind of got lost in the system, uh, whether it was school, home, uh, or outside society. And so, uh, working with them, we have to make sure. Yeah, that's interesting. You, you said that uh, about early childhood development reminds me of what the mayor of New York said, Eric Adams, recently that something like 35, 40% of people in Rikers Island are dyslexic. So when you look at that, that is something that's like, it's the, you know, they're not being helped on that individual level and it hadn't been either screened or taught in that way. And then, you know, well, before we went on the air, so. the sheriff and I were talking about it. The sheriff was saying, you know, he came here at 10, 10 years old as an immigrant who was treated badly at times because he was different. Mm. You were a Brazilian. Yeah. Uh, who spoke Portuguese, came here at five years old and didn't understand that. And I was one of the four Jews in my huge high school in 11th grade, and I got suspended 13 times for fighting when somebody called me a dirty Jew. So uh, we were all products of our experience. Those people in Rikers Island, these these people that the sheriff is working with, um, they need somebody who understands that we're not it's not that they have evil genes that they're a product of the experience they came to the jail they could come out better off if they get the right kind of services while they're there we have to take a break we're talking to hampshire county sheriff uh patrick k lane about a great special commission for lgbtq plus people who are both incarcerated and returning home from incarceration we'll continue the conversation right after this stay with us Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Winesick Nursery is your local go-to garden center. We've been around since 1954 and we're as local as it gets with 80 acres of homegrown trees, shrubs, plants, flowers, and a retail store. Winesick Nursery wants to be the one you turn to for growing advice, to help you find the perfect tree for that special spot, to be there when you need annuals, flowers, perennials, organic vegetables and herbs for your garden. Winesick Nursery is your best source for soil and for bulk mulch and compost delivered to your driveway. 
Weinzig Nursery is your retail store with garden necessities and gifts like houseplants, tropical plants, and pottery. We can recommend the best seed and fertilizer for your lawn and show you beautiful shrubs and flowering trees. We are the go-to garden center for experienced gardeners. And for those who are not, Weinzig Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley and at WeinzigNursery.com. The only constant is change. The world we know today will not be the world that greets today's first graders as they finish high school and begin to find their way in the world. At the Hartsbrook School in Hadley, students learn to embrace change, to look the world in the eye and take responsibility for themselves, for their community. With a combination of rigorous academics, inspired creative arts, and stewardship of the land, students learn to see the world as a whole. They learn to think critically and creatively. They have time to be young and unhurried, to be intentional, to explore new things on their own, to go deep and master one thing, to trust their instincts, to trust each other, to learn together. The Hartsbrook School, clarity of thought, warmth of heart and strength of purpose. Early childhood through high school on a 55-acre campus in Hadley. Go to the Hartsbrook School website to schedule a visit. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And I am back with Hampshire County Sheriff Pat K. Lane. So, Sheriff, um, a lot of us have some familiarity with the difficulty of reentry um, for any inmate who's been incarcerated, but certainly for LGBTQ plus individuals, um, there's added kind of difficulties in terms of um, reentering society and being productive. A lot of us have heard about the, the Bridge to the Future. Could you tell us about the Bridge to the Future? The Bridge to the Future is a, a program that we set up um, six or seven years ago now, and we we developed it so that people in our custody, as they were getting to the end of the sentence, could get uh, wraparound services in the community and find... What are wraparound services? Uh, mental health counseling, substance abuse counseling, finding a mentor, finding um, a sponsor that would keep in touch with you and, and help you work through a program uh, and and help them find permanent housing. And, and we also uh, work with them in finding employment. That's really great. And... Uh, with respect to the commission, I think that uh, we have we're going to be a laboratory in with an East Hampton office that um, is happening. Could you tell us about that? Yes, uh, this came about uh, with the Massachusetts LGBT Chamber of Commerce, and and they approached uh, several different groups, and they were building a coalition of uh, people to work with uh, the LGBTQ plus community uh, who are returning home from incarceration, and and. How do they help them get services? Uh, the the Lawyers for Civil Rights has worked on it. BECMA, the Black Economic Council, Black and Pink out of Boston, and and uh, Fenway Health are all uh, along with the with the Chamber of Commerce uh, have all worked and together. And state money too, right? There's some state money involved, and and there's uh, private donation money uh, involved. So, um, and so uh, we had discussions surrounding it. Uh, with the mayor of East Hampton, and and I said, you know, I would work to help support it, and I've been communicating with uh, the other sheriff's offices. Uh, there's a person who has been hired, uh, who uh, who is helping 
connect all the pieces in in this area. And so eventually, eventually, I, I believe it's going to be in July. They're they're planning on opening opening an office in the East Hampton for this area. And, and that's the the special commission. Despite being statewide, this is the first such office that's being opened, right? Yes, and and it it kind of grew in part because. Uh, uh, the special commission happened, and we were working on on the special commission. And and these were people, some of the people that we got to know through the special commission. And uh, and it it makes sense to get wraparound services for this community. Well, Sheriff Pat Kaling, I I can't um, tell you how um, grateful I am that you're on that special commission. That the special commission was created in the first instance. These are our neighbors. These are our friends. We all make mistakes. Sometimes they make mistakes that get some trouble with the law. If they're unfortunate enough to have to go to jail, I am uh, comforted to know that you, and I guess you're, you're, I assume that your correctional officers are getting training in uh, sensitivity as well, right? They, they do. They get a, uh, an in-service training during the year, and they also get it at the uh, training academy. And, and uh, we had a graduation today, obviously, uh, and uh, they took an oath of office, and, and I talked about the oath of office, and it's important that they understand that, that oath means something, and, and your word means something uh, when you come, uh, come to work for, as a public servant. Diverse community is a better community. We're a pluralistic society. Yes. We're better off being that, and I am just grateful to you yeah. and the work that you're doing yeah. and to the entire commission. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good luck with this. We are going to be back with Max Richmond of the National Committee to Preserve uh, Social Security and Medicare. And there is some, um, the trustees from the Social Security Trust Fund have issued a report. And we're going to be talking with Max about that report and other matters right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A construction worker from Western Mass was killed in an accident in Boston Thursday morning. Boston police identified the man as James Chafee of Westfield. A NOSHA investigation is underway, but preliminary reports suggest Chafee was killed when a pile of granite slabs slid off the back of a flatbed truck. One other person was injured in the incident, but is expected to recover. The budget for the city of Northampton is increasing by 4% in the next fiscal year. But Mayor Gina Louise Shera says that translates to a slight increase for each department to keep the same level of staffing and services. Requests for new programs or new spending in departments, we kept to a minimum. An increase in fuel and electricity charges is part of the reason the city is increasing the budget and raising property taxes as a result. A crash involving a motorcycle and two cars has closed two major roadways to traffic in East Longmeadow today. East Longmeadow Police Chief Williams tells 22 News that the motorcyclist had died after a crash involving two other vehicles at Summers Road and Pease Road. An accident reconstruction team has been called in. And Pittsfield Senator Adam Hines is out in the race for lieutenant governor. Hines, along with Boston businessman Brett Biro, failed to make the cut. Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll and Acton Rep Tammy Gouveia will join Senator Eric Lesser on the primary ballot, with all receiving enough votes from the assembled delegates at last week's Democratic convention. 
Sunshine and wind this afternoon, a high of 78 to 82. Clouds increase tonight. Evening temperatures will be in the 70s and 60s and overnight low in the 50s. Mixture of sun and clouds here tomorrow. Chance for a light scattered shower, but most of the day is dry. A high of 76 to 80. Mostly cloudy scattered showers Sunday, a high of 76. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. On our next show, after we speak with Holyoke Mayor Joshua Garcia, on our Black in the Valley segment, we'll feature an exploration of the United States' newest national holiday, Juneteenth. We'll do that with Jacqueline Smith-Brooks, Holly Tartikoff, Amakar Shabazz, and Anika Lopes. So please join us Monday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. One dollar tacos? Yeah. At Mame Iguanas? Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Let's go. One dollar tacos at Mame Iguanas? Yes. I don't believe you. Would I lie to you? You're always lying to me. I mean about tacos. How about shrimp tacos? A dollar. Beef tacos? A dollar. I need a margarita. Mama Iguanas, the grand reopening. Dollar tacos all week. Tacos al pastor? Dollar. Mama's back, the margaritas, the enchiladas, mole, and guacamole. Dinner Tuesday through Sunday, lunch on the weekend. And this week only, all tacos one dollar. First, you're going to install a Goshen stone patio. From there, the stone walkway to the new garden. Next to the garden, the pond, you have it all planned. You were going to do the patio five years ago, the walkway the next year, and the pond, was that this summer? Where do the weekends go? Call Beyond Landscape, the take back your weekend people. Get it all done this summer or plan and budget it out over a few years. The patio, the pond. If you have ideas, make them happen. Call Beyond Landscape. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. Thanks for joining us again on this lovely Friday afternoon up here and um, it is always a pleasure uh, and honor for me to talk to our next guest, Match, Max Richman of the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare. I'm so grateful that he takes time out of his busy schedule to chat with us. Hello, Max. Well, thank you for having me. It's my honor to be on your program. Well, thank you for that. Um, I have to, there is a huge element elephant in the room and that elephant is, even though we are here to talk about the Social Security Trust Fund and um, what's happening in Congress with, in that regard, last night was an incredibly powerful moment in the history of our fragile representative democracy when the January 6th committee began its first open hearing. Um, a lot of us are just watching it on TV and reading it in the newspaper, but we are pretty distant from Washington. You are right there, and you have spent decades in and around Congress. So I have to ask you what your impressions are before we go back to talking about Social Security. What were your impressions? You know, I started my career uh, in Washington on Capitol Hill working for a congressman whose office happened to be right above the House Judiciary Committee hearing room. So I, I happened to be in a place where I could personally watch uh, the beginnings of the um, hearings on Watergate and the impeachment. And this is on that same level. Uh, I, I wasn't there in person in the hearing room, 
and I wasn't watching it on television. I was driving uh, to the, uh, our country farm that we have in Virginia. But uh, it was of that magnitude, that that important uh, to the country, to the future of the country. And uh, the the members who spoke, uh, the chairman uh, and the vice chair, uh, they have a lot of courage. It, it, this is ask to uh, try to explain to the American people what happened, what almost happened, and how uh, we're, you said, uh, in a, dem- a democratic uh, country that is really uh, can be very fragile. So I was very impressed with the courage of the members who spoke last night. And, you know, they they connected the dots. They began to connect the dots in a way that we haven't seen yet up until this point. And um, I'm really very, very interested in uh, the next hearing, I think, is Monday at 10 o'clock, and I'll be glued to the television, as will so many millions of other people. And as they well should be, for the, I haven't heard it put as well as you just did, that uh, the, the moment is as important as those Watergate hearings, which I remember I listened to rabidly. Even when I was working outside, I was, had a transit. What we then had was a transistor radio going, listening to Peter Rodino and the Watergate hearings. It is that important, which is why I'm so flabbergasted that Fox News doesn't think it's warranting their programming um, and a lot of other radio stations. I mean, I understand that there's left and right and conservative and liberal, but... It, how can people not understand how important this moment is? In well, I think you know. At the same time, uh, we have to acknowledge that uh, the broadcast television networks interrupted prime time, very, uh, very lucrative uh, part of their broadcast evening, and interrupted that, replaced it with this. So yes. Uh, I'm not surprised about Fox News. It's my understanding they they covered it on the business channel. But, uh, w- you know, we have, have enough uh, in the media, enough attention being paid to it. And I think the fact that it was on prime time and the programming uh, was replaced by the hearings, I think, says an awful lot. I think Max is getting a phone call. I turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> that happens I usually to, remember to turn it off. I know. It happens to the best of us, trust me. <laughs> it's, you're an important guy, too, so you're getting phone calls. Well, thank you for commenting on that, and I am, um, I am, I, uh, your, your comment is resonating. I'm going to think about it when I'm looking at the next um, installment of these hearings. Uh, I'm going to compare it to Watergate, which I understood at the time how important it was. And um, I know that this is as well. Meanwhile, important to millions and millions of people who are currently and in the future will be on Social Security and Medicare. The Social Security Trust Fund uh, just issued a huge report. Um, And I'd love to hear your comments about what it says and what you think about what it says. Well, the trustees of Social Security issue a report uh, Annually, usually in the spring, late spring, on on Social Security finances, Medicare finances, the trust funds for those, 
programs. And the report that came out a few weeks ago uh, tells us that the program of Social Security will be able to pay everybody their full benefits until 2035. That's a year better than last year's report, uh, which was 2034. And at that point, if nothing is done in the next 13 years, there will be, by, uh, by uh, circumstances, a necessity to cut the program benefits by about 22%. We cannot let that happen. That would be devastating. The average benefit of Social Security is about $650 a month, which, of course, means many people are getting much less than that. And to reduce that by 22% would be devastating. We'll no doubt move people into poverty, and we can't let it happen. And I don't think it has to happen, and I am confident that uh, there will be enough uh, will, political will, in the Congress to do what has to be done to make sure that is extended, that date is extended uh, beyond 2035. And there, you know, we, if you like, we can talk about the uh, principal pieces of legislation in the House and the Senate that are being worked on that would address the solvency, as well as some very necessary, very overdue improvements that should be made to the Social Security program. That's exactly what we're going to talk about right after this break. We're going to talk about what we can do to make sure that the 66 million, I think, beneficiaries now, the 190 million or something covered workers and their families, uh, we want to talk about the impact, this huge impact uh, that it has on those lives and what we can do to secure benefits for those not currently getting them. We'll be right back with Max Richmond of the National Committee to Preserve Medic- Social Security and Medicare right after these messages. Well, you get five when you're too old to work and you're too young to die. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. You've got a right to what's coming to you. Sometimes your retirement check is so small that one little shopping trip swallows it all. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. And tonight, the state delegation is in solidarity with our mayor and with Congressman McGovern, who is leading the charge to stop the closure of the VA and leave. So we are completely committed as your state elected officials, and we are called tonight by our congressman to stand with him, and we will be here tonight, and we will be here every step of the way. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Printing costs sky high, businesses spend up to 3% of revenue generating documents, and many businesses fail to budget the expense. Sound familiar? Get a handle on your printing costs with Total Print Pro from H.L. Dempsey in West Springfield. H.L. Dempsey will do an on-site analysis of your copy and print usage and come up with a customized, comprehensive solution that will simplify your world and save you money. Go to hldempsey.com to find out more. H.L. Dempsey, serving Western New England for over 50 years. H.L. Dempsey, just dependable. 
stop what you're doing. The financial markets are in ruins. You're in debt up to your... And you hate your job. And you keep hoping for a better way. There is. My one-man show, Yield of Dreams. I'll demystify your money myths, transform your life, and entertain you all at the same time. Curious? Join me, Charlie Epstein, June 23rd, 24th, or the 25th at Holyoke Community College for a financially entertaining evening. Get tickets at yieldofdreams.live. Free for all students and start living a life of wonderment, joy, laughter, and play. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley co-op right in your town maybe even in your neighborhood an immigrant is building a new life trying to find their way all while learning a new language the international language institute offers free english classes for immigrants and refugees for true beginners and others like students in our bridge to college and careers program one of the nation's top language schools is right here with free english classes for immigrants and refugees the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only and that prescription medications are only meant for the person they are prescribed for. Brought to you by the Northampton Prevention Coalition, working together to protect the developing brain. NorthamptonPrevents.org This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back to our program. We are talking about the Social Security Trust Fund um, and uh, an insolvency date of only, what, 12 or 13 years from now. And we're talking with President and CEO Max Richmond of the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare, something that I think most of us are in favor of, regardless of party. Is that true, Max? When you, you're there in the bowels of Congress, you are able to actually have conversations with uh, representatives and senators. Are, are Republicans who don't co-sponsor or don't join in, do they say that they don't want Social Security to survive? No, of course, they never say that. They, uh, they, uh, they tell me, oh, I'm, I'm for Social Security. But uh, what I ask them is, what will you, how will you vote? Will you vote for a piece of legislation that extends the solvency, improves the benefits? So that's what we're waiting for is <clears throat> trying to force a vote. And as you and I have talked about, Congressman John Larson of uh, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, has a, a bill, has over 200 co-sponsors, all Democrats, uh, that would extend the, that date that we talked about uh, and would add some very important benefits, have a more accurate cost-of-living adjustment. Anyone who's on Social Security knows full well what a COLA is. Uh, would improve the minimum benefit, would uh, add a caregiver credit for those people, and it's mostly women, who leave the workforce 
for a time to care for children or uh, an elderly parent uh, to have some credits applied during those periods where they're not in the workforce uh, towards their Social Security uh, benefit formula. And, And as I said, extends the solvency. How does it do that? In a very fair way, the Larson bill will bring revenue, needed revenue, into the program. Right now, as you know, Buzz, there's a cap on wages subject to the payroll tax. It's $147,000 a year, changes a little bit every year. The Larson bill would keep the cap at what it is, and again, it changes a little bit annually, but start collecting payroll taxes on wages at $400,000 and above, which is, as you know, consistent with President Biden's uh, commitment not to raise taxes on anybody earning less than $400,000 a year. And that would bring in enough revenue to add some of these improvements I mentioned and others and add years to the financial health of the Social Security program. So I'm, uh, I've been told that there's a, a very good chance this bill will be uh, come out of the Ways and Means Committee soon and will be brought for a vote before the full House. And, and I'm hoping that it, when it's time to vote, uh, those uh, Republicans who say they're for Social Security will uh, put their vote where their mouths are and vote for legislation to improve the solvency and to add benefits. I just, I, here's the question I have to ask. That bill, John Larson's Social Security 2100 bill, which had more than 200 Democratic co-sponsors, how many Republicans endorsed that bill? None. Zero. None have. And, and you know, we don't know. At the same time, uh, they haven't proposed a bill either. Uh, there was there was a, a a Republican bill by the, a former chairman of the same committee when the Republicans were in the majority. He, he's passed away since then. Uh, he had he did not have a single co-sponsor because their approach, when they do have one, is cut benefits. The average benefit is sixteen hundred and fifty dollars a month, as I mentioned. And a lot of the, a lot of beneficiaries, of course, are getting less than that. And it, it, this is not a time, and it never is a time, to cut benefits, to move people into poverty, uh, and to uh, not take into account all of the co- all of the increases in the cost of living. And we all know what what that's all about. We're experiencing record inflation almost monthly, we need to improve the program in, it, in terms of the benefits and add revenue in a fair way. You know, I've done hundreds of town hall meetings around the country, hundreds, with members of Congress. When we get to talking about the finances of Social Security, and I point out, well, you know, there's a cap on wages subject to the payroll tax, a lot of them, uh, they're dumbfounded. They, they have no idea because they've never made that much money. And the assumption is you pay payroll tax on your wages. But there is this cap. It needs to be addressed. 
uh, one of the reasons that we're having this financial uh, problem long term with Social Security is back in the early 80s, uh, over 90 percent of wages were subject to the payroll tax. Now it's about 80 percent. Why? Income inequality. So many people are making so much more money that we've gotten to the point where we don't have enough coming in uh, to the Social Security program. And on top of that, we are looking at other revenue sources. Uh, The other thing that has changed since the 80s is so many uh, people are earning income not by wages, but by uh, 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 unearned, unearned income. Why shouldn't there be some sort of a tax on that applied to the Social Security uh, uh, program to add revenue to the program? We need to change some of these formulas because circumstances have changed. And I think it's the right thing to do, and I'm hoping enough Republicans, when there is a vote, will see it that way as well. It's really remarkable to me, Max Richmond, that when, when we talk about um, – this uh, uh, keeping the payroll wage cap where it is, but um, having those who earn $400,000 per year um, or more contribute their fair share, that's affecting less than 2% of working Americans. Less than 2%. And those people, will they be hit by it? Well, they're earning $400,000 a year. I don't know. Yeah, I think they'll be all right. I think they'll land on their feet. I don't think we'll see them on the sidewalk with holding a cup and asking us for uh, quarters. Um, well, you know, I, I use this example often just because it's so stark. Uh, we have in this country, a, a, and I won't name him because I got a little into a little trouble when I did, uh, we have a very famous, very good basketball, basketball player who makes a lot of money so much money that he reaches that cap, $147,000, halfway through the first quarter of the first game of a basketball (laughs) season. The rest of that quarter, the rest of the game, the season, the playoffs, the championship, no more payroll tax. And as you were saying, this athlete, I think he'd be fine just paying for the whole quarter, the first quarter. <laughs> but it, it's, it's a stark example, but it shows you uh, that there is plenty of room to bring more revenue into the program in a way that isn't going to hurt people that can't afford it. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, the understand. look, when, when you say that the average is $1,600, folks, that means those individuals who have worked their whole lives to doing what we all say is the right thing to do, and now they are in their twilight years and unable to generate income, and they're going to bring down maybe $19,000 a year to support themselves in 2022. Now, that just doesn't go that far, and we're threatening maybe they won't even get that by 2030. Five, that's just a chillingly crass, cruel, and self-destructive. What kind of society can we have when people are suffering to that extent, Max Richmond? Well, 
you know, you put it very well, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. We're, uh, these individuals uh, are facing, uh, as I said, high inflation, high cost of living. Uh, their Medicare Part B premium has gone up uh, over $22 a month just this year, and that's a whole other issue we might want to talk about at some point. But they cannot, they cannot absorb a 22% cut in their benefits and it, when the program is no, no longer has a reserve to pay full benefits. Isn't it, uh, has Social Security benefits been increased in, it's been decades, hasn't it? Well, the COLA, the, the right, beauty the COLA. Of, the, is the Social Security system is there is a COLA, it's not enough. It's not accurate, does not track inflation as it impacts the senior, which it should. And that's another, I didn't mention this, but in the Larson bill, there is a, a different way to calculate the COLA. It's called the CPIE, Consumer Price Index Elderly, which will put in the proper weight on those goods and services that seniors rely on and track inflation in that way. And after all, the whole point of a COLA is that you don't lose ground in your benefit check because of inflation. So we need to have a different formula, and the Larson Bill provides that. Well, we know that what we do have is Max Richmond and the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare working on our behalf. We should support that organization. We should learn more about it. We are threatened in 2035. And thanks to people like Max Richmond and John Larson, and those co-sponsors, there is some hope for us. Max, thank you for joining us again. Well, it's my pleasure, Buzz, anytime. Thank you. All righty. Everybody else, have a great weekend. Enjoy the game tonight and the hearings tomorrow. It's important that we pay attention to this historic time in our democracy. Everybody, thanks for joining us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and The only snuggle. live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5.30.